You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braitman. Today, I'm sitting down with John Farragon to talk about the recently published five-year data on treatment-naive subjects initiating therapy with Bictegravir, Tenofovir, Alafenamide, m or BFTAF. Welcome again, John. Yeah, thanks, Mariana. Appreciate uh, you letting me come on again and talk about this. Uh, I think it's an important topic for everybody who's using BFTAF or for treatment-naive patients. So. So, John, can you tell us first a little bit about BFTAF and the five-year data that was recently published? Yeah, so sure. Um, so, you know, I, I think, um, you know, so we'll use BFTAF, I think, a lot during this presentation uh, for, for this um, uh, podcast, but it's basically Bictegavir, which I think we know is, is an integrase inhibitor. Tofralofenamide and emtricitabine are both nucleosides that are in a lot of the combination uh, products that we use today for for HIV, uh, but some you know sometimes I, I hate to just cover one medication or the one you know one treatment, but I, but I think uh, many listening today would agree that that the the bactegravir with TAF FTC uh, is really an important medication that many providers use as their first line regimen in newly infected patients uh, who are identified uh, as as living with HIV. So this data is being published, I think, in the Lancet in in, uh, early May of 2023 this year, I think is important in that its findings really support the role of this medication in treatment-naive subject. And and, and for those of you who don't know the studies that that were published, just so you're aware, it's the 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 1489 and the 1490 studies. So these also um, compare BFTAF to other regimens that are on the DHHS guidelines and, and are preferred for quote unquote most patients uh, on DHHS, n- namely the, the dolutegravir based regimens paired with either TAF FTC or Bacavir 3TC. Um, so what I like about these 1489 and 1490 studies is basically really it really shows you at least virologically the real virologic outcomes are almost identical regardless of which regimen you were randomized to and patients did very well. But f- but for all intents and purposes, this really this publication is really Kind of focused on BFTAF as kind of the, I would say in some levels, kind of like the standard of care uh, for uh, for newly for for patients who are new and uh, in, in living with HIV. So by way of background, Mariana, so the BFTAF is a single tablet regimen. Um, it's currently both um, both on the ISUSA guidelines and also the DHHS guidelines as a preferred regimen for for most patients who are treatment naive, meaning that they've never been on therapy before. So um, the, the original studies, the 1489 and 1490 studies were originally uh, designed to only go out to 144 weeks only, which again, that's three-year data. 
Um, but they offered, what they did was they offered an extension of that study beyond 144 weeks to 240 weeks. And if, if the researchers and the participants were, were agreed to it. So um, that's great because, you know, now this actually goes out to five years for, for a decent proportion of the patients, about 80%. So 1489, as, as we said, you know, as it was compared to Dutegravir, Bakravir, 3TCs, that's Triumac. So that's one of the, one of the comparator arms. And then the 1490 study was compared with Dutegravir um, plus TAF FTC. But all in both of those studies, the the, the comparator arm uh, was was the BF TAF. So that's a that's the kind of key piece I think that that we're going to kind of focus on today. Can you describe the number of patients in the study and the design as well? Yeah, so I think this is important too, just so we know how many patients we're talking about. So again, a pretty large study from a from an HIV standpoint. Um, there was 634 participants in the study, um, and uh, if you look at those patients, they they, they were randomized. Although the, the 634 were the number of patients that were randomized to BF-TAF in, in the combination of the 1489 and 1490 studies, and then there were fi- 519 had completed this double blind blinded treatment. And interestingly, about 80% or about 506 out of the original 634 chose to stay on beyond the 144 weeks for an additional two years or 96 weeks to give you that extra two years to get you out to five years. And during that two-year period of extra, of extra time beyond three years, uh, BFTAF was an open label extension. So basically, all you're really seeing for those last two years are going to be just the BFTAF patients because you know, the, the, the manufacturers of BFTAF were the ones that actually funded the, the extension study for two years. So out of those 506 people that actually went on to, to stay on to the full five years, about 88% of those completed the extension out to five years. So again, pretty good numbers. Now, I think this is a, these are remarkable numbers in general, because I think it reflects nothing, nothing more than really the patient, patient commitment to the study. So, so for five years is a long time for study visits. It's a long time for, for patients that have to show up and, and attend visits to make sure they're getting all the study research done. Uh, and it also, um, people don't real, may not realize this, but this study also, these studies actually, the extension study for 1489 and 1490 occurred during the COVID pandemic as well. So it also reflected the additional challenges with COVID and staying in the study that long. So it's really, I think, a testament to not only just the, the patients, but also, I guess, the researchers as well, who are willing to remain committed that long out to, out to five years. So now efficacy was based on the secondary outcome of uh, the proportion of people who actually uh, with HIV RNA uh, less than 50 copies at 240 weeks. And they basically did two methods. One of them is missing equals excluded and missing equals failure. All right, so missing equals excluded is basically if they're missing out of out of the analysis, they're basically excluded. If And then the other way to do it, the more stringent way to do it is missing equals failure method, which actually basically treats anybody who's missing out to five years as, as a failure. So regardless of whether or not you could have passed away, patient could have moved, patient could have been incarcerated, but regardless, they were treated as failures. That's the more stringent way of looking at it. But all 634 participants who were randomized to BFTAF and received at least one dose of BFTAF were included in the efficacy and safety analysis, which I think is really good as well. And then and again, like I said, this missing it was excluded gives you a higher number of people undetectable because it excludes all patients who leave the study. So basically when you're looking at it, you'll see higher numbers because it's basically saying anybody who falls out of the study for whatever reason is basically excluded from, from the analysis. Missing equals failure is much more stringent and it's probably more of a, more of a research or, or more, more importantly from a research standpoint, what happens to all the patients in real life? And it treats all patients leaving, leaving the study as failures. So the counts 
on them uh, being undetectable is going to be a lot lower than what you see for the missing equals excluded. So hopefully that will make sense. If you if you understand some of the research principles, this would make sense. But basically, this missing equals equals failure is kind of like the snapshot. The FDA snapshot um, uh, analysis that is, is what they often do. This missing equals failure for for like forty eight week and you know ninety six week studies that the that the that the um, that the FDA is actually involved with. So what exactly did they find? Yeah, so Mariana, some key findings. I think um, all those that had available data, 98.6% of patients maintained a viral load less than 50 copies at week 240. Now, again, this is the higher number, the missing equals excluded. So again, this is the less stringent analysis, but I think it's helpful um, in that we can say if your patient stays on therapy and you start them on BFTAF and they stay on for five years and, and take it every day, close to 100% of those people will remain undetectable. And that's really, I think, the key point. So really good numbers, right? Close to 99% of people are undetectable, less than 50 copies at five years. On the other hand, using this more stringent FDA snapshot method, when the missing virologic data is treated as failures, that number drops way down to about 67%. But again, the way to say this is basically to say in real life, when a patient leaves your clinic, they stop therapy, they move away, they get incarcerated, et cetera. What percentage of people that you started on day one will be undetectable at day five? And that number is about 67%. It's quite remarkable, I think, in, in reality, because I mean, you have five years of data. So you know, you're treating all those patients as failures. But as you know, that's in that 67% of people who are successful in less than 50 copies, the other, the other third of patients, some of them still could be undetectable. They just could have been, they, they could have moved to a clinic across town and they're not part of the study anymore. They could be in Department of Corrections and still taking their meds and be undetectable. So you really can't say much about the other third because you don't know where they are. But again, if you treat all of them as failures, if they're all failing, this number is 67%. So I still think it's a good number for us to kind of be aware of when we look out to five years. Another important piece of this five-year data is, is the CD4 cell count change from baseline. And that was about 338 um, plus or minus a couple hundred cells. So I think that the, 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 the out of all this data, the most important thing I think in my mind is the resistance data. So usually in a lot of studies, there's usually somebody or a handful of patients who actually meet resistance testing criteria and wind up with some resistance, whether it's to, whether it would be to Bictegavir or to TAF or to FTC. If we look at triple drug therapy over the years, there's always someone who develops resistance to something. And in this study, actually, if you look out the five years, when they looked at the BF-TAF, there was no treatment emergent resistance uh, to any of the classes of, 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 of medications, so including the integrase inhibitors, but also for the NNRTIs, uh, there was no resistance detected. That's really key for us. And I think it's an important point for us to be able to tell patients and say, you know, listen, if you're somebody who starts on the regimen and continues it and takes it every day faithfully for five years, your, your risk of resistance, really, based on the studies we know so far, is going to be virtually zero. Now, again, remember, this is only the patients that stayed in the study. So the people that the, the third that left the studies could have resistance out there. We just don't know about them. So it's hard for us to make any assessments on them. But also, I think another important point about this, Mariana, is, is that BF-TAF was really well tolerated. And adverse events that led to discontinuation was less than 2%. It was 1.6%. Only 10 out of the 634 people um, had had adverse events that actually were considered to be drug related and led to discontinuation. So, 
Um, uh, so when you look at less, there's less concern for renal adverse events with TAP. So they did look at this in detail. There was no discontinuations due to renal adverse events. Cholesterol was also looked at and median total cholesterol did increase by 20 mg per deciliter. Again, not a huge change from baseline, but again, that's important. Um, and also change in total cholesterol to HDL ratio was 0 0.1, not, 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 rel not, not clinically relevant. So study 1499 also looked at the hip and spine bone marrow density with minimal changes reported. So again, reflective of BF-TAF, right, of Bictagravir with TAF-50C, because it has the TAF in it, you'll see less renal and less bone adverse events compared to what you would see if you had them on TDF, the older version, for example. So again, very typical of what we would expect for a TAF-FTC nuke backbone, but this in, in this setting was in combination with Bictagravir. So very good numbers so far from an adverse event, from an adverse event perspective. I know we've talked about some of these insti regimens causing weight gain. Did they report that in this study at all? Yeah, so so this is really important, and I think this is probably I think one of the um, one of the I think one of the biggest challenges I think in the field is what to do with patients who do gain weight when they're on a second generation integrase inhibitors and, and again in combination with TAF fifty C. So. We know so far that, that in particular, dolutegravir and bictegravir have been associated with some weight changes in, in some studies. And so they looked at this really closely at median weight changes from baseline. Um, and at year five, that was 6.1 kilograms. Uh, and it ranged from, from two kilograms up to 11.7. So basically, there's, there's a graph that's actually inside the, inside the study uh, that you can look at when you look at this, uh, or this publication. And it kind of gives you a sense of when the weight gain actually occurred. And if you look at baseline to week 48, so in that, in that first year, it's about three kilograms. The next year, it's about 0 0.5, 0 0.7 for year three, year four is 0.7, then year five, it's 1.2. Now, to be fair about year one, about the 1.2 in the last year, that was between July of 2020 and July of 2021. And obviously, many of you remember that that's during the pandemic. And if you look back at some of the weight gain issues in the general population, it was roughly about 1.2 kilograms, very similar to what we would see in, in, in real life. But the bottom line here is I think everybody needs to be aware that when you use Bictegravir with TAF-FTC, there's going to be a proportion of patients that are going to gain weight. And in this, in this study, looking out to five years with all these patients, um, and again, two-thirds of them went actually out to the 67% went, went out to that, to that five-year point. We're looking at a roughly a six kilogram weight gain. So times 2.2, it's about 12 to 13 pounds of weight gained over, over a five-year period. Now, some of you may look at that and say, geez, that's a horrible number. We're really worried about it. But just remember that these patients also remained undetectable. They had, they had no resistance and they also had very few, few adverse events that led to discontinuation. So that's an important piece. Now, another most, another very important piece is the fact that the people who are, who are, not in the analysis, those third of patients, we don't have data on their weight. So they, they could have gained more weight gain and actually fell out of the study for that reason. We don't really know that. So there's, there's only a certain number of things that we can answer about the, the BF-TAF um, out to five years. If you look beyond, you know, during that extension phase, that 96 to, to um, that 96 week extra two years of data between 144 and 240 weeks. So in conclusion, Marianne, I think the, I think the, the point with this is that really the treatment of BF-TAF, and I think this article really kind of drives this home, over five years really achieved them and maintained high levels of viral suppression without the occurrence of drug resistance. And, and I think we would all agree that this is a well-tolerated, minimal impact on cholesterol, 
in bone mineral density, five-year median weight gain about six kilograms. And these really do support the use of BF-TAF as a durable and safe long-term HIV treatment. So the challenge here, I think, is in the future, you know, will, we, will there be other regimens that will be just as durable? Most likely we'll have them. Uh, obviously, there's new formulations that we're looking at for, for other regimens, but at least in this study, uh, again, published in, in, in Lancet um, uh, the, the, in May of early May of this year, has this five-year data, which I think really supports the use of this BFTAP as a durable and safe long-term HIV treatment for our patients who are initiating therapy. John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us some of the highlights of this BFTAF in treatment naive subjects study. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.necaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe and we'll see you Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.